I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to another Cousin Film Podcast. This week we are unable to bring you our regular roundtable of great discussion and terrible jokes, but we are still able to bring you some fascinating conversation. This week sees the release of Mike Lee's Peterloo, a historical epic that paints a graphic history lesson about an event that has been too easily forgotten. Sam was lucky enough to sit down with the great director and talk about his latest work. All right, uh, we're delighted to welcome Mike Lee on the Curzon Podcast. Hello. Thank you for joining us. Uh, so we're here to talk about Peterloo. Now, I remember first learning about the Peterloo massacre during my A-levels, and it was very sort of quickly brushed over and um, moved aside. Uh, when did you first learn about the Peterloo Massacre? Well, here's the paradox. is I grew up in the Manchester area, yeah. uh, it, well, really very close to where it happened, uh, is where I lived. Mm. Um, and we really knew nothing about it at all, actually. I mean, we did do it for four seconds right. uh, in O-level yeah, yeah, yeah. GCSE, but um, nobody ever said, this is this happened here. Yeah. Nobody took us round and you know brought it to life for yeah. us. So I didn't really know about it at all until okay. uh, somewhere along the line in my adulthood when I read a book about it. And I yeah. remember thinking, actually, uh, somebody ought to make a film about this. <laughs> and at that time, it would never have occurred to me that I might even make a period film because right. I was I made that's when I was doing all my contemporary sure, stuff. Yeah. Um, so that was it. But it, so it wasn't until about five years ago that it occurred to me that we should actually do this. Yeah, and because it's a period piece, like, can you talk about the kind of research you did to like get more of those facts that you never knew about the massacre before? Well, I mean, once you do anything, as we did yeah. when we made Mr. Turner or indeed Topsy Turvy, sure. um, you know, once that's the project, you get stuck into research mm. on every level, right. researching everything you can think of, uh, way beyond the actual event itself. You know, you've got to know what people ate and yeah. read and what they prayed about and where they went and came and all the rest of it. And, yeah. You know. um, so, yeah, very thorough research. And it's actually very researchable. It's not yeah. a, a subject that's difficult to... To, to find the sources because they're mm. there um, apart from the fact that there are historians who know about these things and have, the people have written books about it and there are the books mm. there's also a massive amount of stuff in the National Archive at Kew in the British Library in the libraries in Manchester um, and of course newspapers of the period mm. uh, and things like um, in the inquest after the Peterloo massacre, mm -hmm. 300 people yeah. testified, you know, and those testimonies are still in existence, you know. Yeah. Um, you mentioned there that, you know, because you used to work very uh, firmly in, like, contemporary works. Do you feel like, you know, you've always wanted to make a kind of uh, period piece, but you had to build up this kind of, this level of your career to really well, get those no, bigger I mean, things made? Well, no, I mean, Topsy-Turvy was made 20 years sure. ago. Um 
I don't think it's about that. It's more that, you know, having done, having developed the, uh, uh, the kind of film where we look at people in a real way, yeah. living their lives with all the, the detail mm. of everyday life. Uh, when I approached the first one of these period films, which was Topsy Turvy, yeah. you know, I said, well, what we're doing here is to, we're taking an apparent chocolate box subject, which Gilbert right. and Sullivan and their musical entertainments mm -hmm. is, on the face of it, mm. and saying, okay, well, actually, let's approach, the, these are real people who have got real issues and mm. work. This, I mean, you see in all of my films, people working, that's one of the things right. that's fascinating. You know, um, let's look at them as real people and let's bring it to life, uh, you know. And in a way, all that one is doing is just that, is saying, well, let's um, not be sidetracked or, or um, in any way distracted by the fact that this is a period film. Yeah. These are people. These are people living their lives, and that so that continues all the way down to um, to Peterloo, you know, yeah, uh, 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 and um, you know, uh, I mean, there is a, people say, well, if you are so concerned with accuracy and with the with the reality of the things, surely that makes it sort of antique and inaccessible. I think the opposite is true. Mm. I think if you actually, I mean, there are a lot of uh, period films where they've said, well, we're not. We don't want to make them talk like they did. Let's just have contemporary language. And let's make them, I mean, there's a popular film kicking around at the moment where the costumes really aren't period costumes. They're kind of faux, quasi-period costumes. And the dialogue is kind of peculiarly contemporary and so on and so forth. And, uh, and the whole rhythm of it and things is, is, is got a very imposed, you know, sort of art, um, fancy, sexy yeah. sort of... Um, kind of style. And I think, far from making it more contemporary and more accessible, it makes it less real and therefore less resonant for a contemporary audience and actually more just an exercise in style and not actually a world that you can really buy into, believe in and therefore care about. Yeah, definitely. And in, so this, is, this feels like it's your kind of biggest film in terms of scale and the actors and the sets and everything. Did this feel like a different kind of film for you because of that scale? It, 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 obviously, the scale was different in that sense. Yeah. But it, I mean, the, the more the more different thing about this film from my other films, which of course is obvious, is that whereas y you couldn't say that I've made a film that wasn't in some basic sense political, mm. since they're all films about <coughs> how we live our lives yeah. and the way people interrelate and all the rest of it, <coughs> this film is m far more obviously uh, about politics, yeah. and there are um, a lot of scenes in this film where people make speeches and stuff, yeah. um, and ideas are disseminated in a direct and clear way, and that is the more unprecedented thing, I would say. Mm -hmm. Of course, when it came, gets to the actual massacre itself, and there are a large number of yeah. people all knocking lumps off each other and all shit is, yeah. is uh, let loose. Um, of course, in that sense, uh, that is sort of different. But having said that, I've made a lot of films where there are sequences where people knock all shit off each other, even if there are only three of them on a staircase in a suburban house, you know. It's just a, a, the same thing on a larger scale. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, so going back to what you were saying about, you know, you've, you've sort of been this political 
you know, can be a political filmmaker. Um, there's been some talk lately, and I think in particular, an article Danny Lee wrote in Sight and Sound about how sort of British cinema, the current state of British cinema, seems to be moving away from looking at working class stories behind and in front of the camera. I just want to get your thoughts on that, about how you, if you think it has changed, because in you know, the 60s, the 50s, 60s through to the 70s, there was this kind of you know, working class actors and directors that sort of reinvigorated the British film industry. Have you, do you agree that you've seen it kind of lessen? Yes, to a, obviously, to a, to a degree. Of course I agree with yeah. that. Um, but I sort of, whilst that is the case, mm. I don't really see it in that uh, perspective. Okay. Um, which isn't to say I don't think it's the case. But um, uh, first of all, you have to remember that uh, for a lot of the way down the line, British films never got made at all. There's quite a lot of British, and we're talking about British cinema here, obviously. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think there's a, it's, the, the, it arises because there's a tendency, and we've already ta just talked about this when we talked about glossy pe escapist yeah. period films. There's a tendency to want to make films that are uh, in a superficial way sexy. Uh, attractive, mm. um, uh, glossy, um, uh, slick, uh, and all of that, escapist. Um, not all films, but it's because those films are the films that get made, the, the sort of films you're talking about are less fashionable. Mm. Also, you have to remember that in the great period when we couldn't make feature films at all in the UK, mm. to speak of, uh, certainly not indigenous serious films, as opposed to Hollywood spin-offs or Hollywood quasi-Hollywood films or out-and-out -out commercial stuff. Um, in that period, which is to say between the late 60s and the early 80s, all the good filmmaking in this country was happening on television. Mm. And there was a huge movement, mostly manifest in what was called Play for Today, films on the BBC, but not. But there was other stuff on the other channels too. And there's a big movement uh, of films that were about working class life, about real issues and so on. That has ceased to be the fodder of television. Mm. I mean, you know, it, it, for the most part, if you do see, in inverted commas, working class characters, they're people who are pursuing criminal activities, and you know it's all about police and crimes and crimes and police and police and crimes, um, and stuff. Um, so I think the fact that that culture, the, the the kind of film where you're just out there, on the street. Uh, you know, looking at real life, so to speak, they still exist. It's wrong to say it doesn't happen, mm. but it does it, um, take very much second place to uh, a um, the, the the art, the films, the movies of this uh, media age, this age of um, uh, um, narcissism mm -hmm. that we're living in. Okay. So the film had its premiere at the London Film Festival, but not in London, it was in Manchester. Can you talk about 
what that meant to you that you got to premiere the film in Manchester where it happened. It was great. I mean, it was the most inspired thing who ever thought of it. Uh, yeah. Say, well, the London Film Festival doesn't have to be in London. <laughs> Let's go to Manchester yeah. with it. And it was terrific. And apart from anything else, it was um, simulcast through 200, on 200 screens around the country. Right. Um, as you, of course, uh, as aware as anybody. Um, and... Um, it was a good, it was a great event, you know. Yeah. And also, you know, it, I, as I was able to say to the audience, you know, there is no question that on the night, on the day mm. of Peterloo, people walked past this, if not over this very spot yeah. we're in, on the way to the, the, the nearby event. And when the um, when it kicked off, they'd have run away right right here where we are, yeah. you know. And there's something extraordinarily um, resonant and moving about just that really yeah absolutely do you often have the audience in mind when you make a film do you think about how people are going to react to the things you do i don't know how anyone can make a film or write a book or put on a play without implicitly thinking about the audience Mm. that is what we're doing i mean uh, if I said, well, I'm going to make a film now, I'm not going to think about the audience mm-hmm. at all. I mean, I, I don't know what that means, actually. It's, it's rubbish, basically. Yeah. Because, you know, I mean, apart from the fact that if you are by instinct, as I am, by nature, a natural storyteller, and if you're going to be a filmmaker, you ought to mm-hmm. be that, then you are a natural storyteller. And that is, you like telling stories to people, and therefore you perform mm. Uh, just as I'm talking to you now. I mean, I'm conscious of m- making an effort to communicate with you because yeah. that's what I'm doing. I'm talking to you. Yeah. Um, and so that is, you know, the, every decision you make when you make a film is, is this interesting? You know, are we, you know, will the audience, should we look at it from this point of view or that point of view or whatever it is? So it's, a, with all due respect, it's a kind of daft question. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so on the reverse then, um, when you are an audience member, I know you've said in the past that you were inspired by uh, directors like Ozu and Ray. Are there any like contemporary filmmakers that you're particularly interested in at the you moment? You know, I, 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 I was in. I, well, I spent the last two weeks watching movies at the London Film Festival. Yeah, I'm okay. a regular Curzon visitor. Very good. I have a two Curzons walking distance from where I live. I watch movies all the time. I was very excited. For example, I saw so many films at the London Film Festival. You can't always remember everything you've seen. Uh, I thought the Coen Brothers film, uh, which has just come out, Mm. (coughs) is about to come out, it was great. Really exciting and uh, funny and moving and um, a great piece of filmmaking. Yeah, great. Are you a particular fan of theirs, would you say? Yes. Yeah. I'm not always a fan. It's, I'm not a consistent fan. Sometimes mm. I think what they do is better and sometimes not as good okay. as what they do. But this one really cracks it. Yeah. Okay, great. Um, final question then. I just wanted to ask you about this kind of famous method you have, uh, which is a slightly mysterious method, where you kind of build the script around rehearsals with the actors. Um, did you do that for Peterloo? And can you talk about what it is exactly about that process that works for you? Well, I mean, it's simply a question of combining the process of writing and directing and mm. acting and performance all as one thing, you know. Mm. And, and you know, I, it's about seeing the actors as not just interpreters of something that's already been written, but of being contributing artists, you know. Mm. Um, it gets for really good results and mm. uh, it seems an orga- the, a natural I mean I've been doing it for so long in the theatre and in the cinema that it's just you know, a natural way of working 
Great. Excellent. Okay, Mike Lee, thank you very much for thank your time. You. Thank you. Cheers. Thanks so much for listening to this condensed Curzon podcast. If you're still searching for more listening about the latest cinema releases, we've released four other episodes in the last couple of weeks, covering the likes of Dogman, the London Film Festival, David Gordon's Green's Halloween, and not forgetting our chat with Alfred Molina about playing Mark Rothko in Red. You can guess what colour I went with jealousy when I found out Sam was handling that interview. Tune in next week for chat on Paul Dano's directorial debut Wildlife, Steve McQueen's hugely anticipated Widows, and maybe some special guests too. See you next time. Thanks for listening.